There was a snake who had really bad eyesight one day. He goes to an eye doctor, and the eye doctor gives him a pair of glasses. He goes home, comes back a couple weeks later, and the eye doctor says to the snake, why do you look so depressed? Did the glasses not work? The snake said, oh, no, they work perfectly. I could see perfectly. 20-20 vision now. And the doctor said, well, why are you so depressed? Why, why are you so low? And he said, man, for the last two years, I just found out I've, I've been married to a garden hose. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. How many know vision is pretty important? And not just physical vision, being able to see with your physical eyes, but being able to see purpose in life. That's so critical to the, to, the, to, to the life of any one person. And God wants us to have that type of vision that you could see forward. The vision statement of this church has never changed. From the very beginning that we started this church 13 years ago with 22 people in a living room, now over 3,000 people, our prayer was, God, we just want to help lead people to be fully devoted Christ followers. That's it. And so the vision is so critical to, to the mission that if you waver from that, Man, people begin to get sideways real fast. But the Bible says this, without vision, people perish. Say that with me. Without vision, people perish. And you'd agree with this statement. Without vision, people cast off restraint. Like, there's no, there's no limit in their life. There's no rules. They cast off rules and restraint because who cares? Like, if you don't have a vision for your life, why you're here, why you exist then it doesn't really matter what happens to you, who you give yourself to, what you put in your body, what you do with your life. It doesn't matter because you live your life with a whatever kind of mentality. And I'm just telling you, everybody, God wants us to have vision. Here's the problem. A lot of people know what they do. They don't know why they do it. They know what they do. They don't know the why behind it. And if you have the what without the why, that'll lead to extreme frustration. So I want to talk to you about the why and the what, what we do as a church and why we do this. And really, it's taken from Exodus chapter 6. Now, let me give you kind of a brief history and a background to our text. Before we jump in, God in the Old Testament had his people, the Israelites, and they were in 400 years of slavery. And they cried out to God for deliverer, and God sent a deliverer named Moses. And through a series of miraculous events, God set his people free. This would come at a cost. To, to Egypt and Pharaoh at that time. How many of you have ever seen the Prince of Egypt? See all the, the cartoon? That's pretty much the whole story right there. So God sends a deliverer. They're getting ready to come out. Now God sends judgment and a death angel to, to free them, and he passes over all of their, their houses. And so from this day to now this day, they celebrate what's called Passover, which happened on the calendar about three weeks ago. So when, when they do that, they take what's called communion. And if you grew up in a church like I did, we all take communion, even to this day, we take communion, and communion means one little thing of juice and then one little piece of cracker. And if you're, if you're small, you're looking at the church like, why is this church so chintzy? Why can't we get a whole meal? This is a horrible combo pack. But it represents a beautiful symbol, and that is the blood of Christ and the body of Christ that was broken for us to pay for our sin on a cross 2,000 years ago. But it's interesting because if you look at all of that, the dynamics of what a Jewish Seder would be, they take communion and they don't have one cup, they have four. There's four cups there. Which, if you parallel that with Luke chapter 22, now we understand why there's four cups in Luke 22. Because it never really makes sense growing up. You're like, why? 
they drink a cup, and now they're drinking again, and are they just really thirsty? What is going on? And so we're going to unpack the four cups and what these mean, because these all represent a part of God's plan for your life. How many know anything that God does in the Scripture is not filler? It's not like, hey, we, we need a few more words in here. Let's just throw four cups in there. It all is very meaningful. So I want you to grab your notes out. Statistically, 95% of people that take notes end up going to heaven. So I want to encourage you to take notes today. Number one, all right, here's the first cup in any Jewish Seder. Well, actually, let's read Exodus chapter 6, and we'll, we'll unpack it together. There are four I wills followed by a you will. Four I wills from God. Here's what God's going to do, and then here's something that he expects you to do. Number one, therefore I say to the Israelites, now this is before they came out of slavery, I am the Lord and I will, here's the first one, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Number two, I will free you from being slaves to them. And number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Number seven, verse seven, here's the fourth I will, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will, okay, here's, here's now where you step in. You, then you will Know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Okay, let's look at these four steps, these four things, because this is really what our church is centered around to make it super simple. Number one, write this down, the cup of sanctification. The cup of sanctification. That's a big old $5 Bible word right there. Sanctification means that you're set apart for a purpose, right? And it's taken from the first, I will. Take, take a look in your notes. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They're in slavery. He says, the very first thing I want to do, I want to rescue you. I want to get you out of there, man, fast. I'm not trying to fix you yet. Watch this, watch this. He says, I'm not trying to fix you yet. I just want to get you to safety. We got to get you out of there because you cannot rescue yourself. I can't rescue myself. Trust me, I've tried. Many of you have tried and we have failed miserably. We need a God who doesn't have our sin problem to reach down and rescue us right where we are. And here's the good news. He says, I'm willing, I'm down. I'm I'm willing to break in and get you out. Now you don't want to stop there at the first cup because there's a second cup and that is the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. And this is where he said, I will now free you from being slaves to them. Now, this is, this is interesting at first glance because you're like, wait a second. He just rescued them. Now he wants to free them? I thought they were already free. Now, when we think of deliverance, <laughs> some of you are a little scared about deliverance. You're like, well, I don't know. I saw that movie. Like, ding, 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 <laughs> ding. That's not the deliverance we're talking about. He got them out of that area geographically. He saved them. Now he wants to free them from being slaves. It's the attitude of a slave. Let me say it another way. We can get you out of Egypt. Now we need to get Egypt out of you. I'm talking about old lifestyles, old ways of thinking, old ways of making decisions and choices. There's got to be a place where you can work through your issues. Because listen, Jesus Christ died to set you free on the inside. He's not happy just because he got you to a place where now you're going to church. There's a lot of us that need deliverance on the inside of a little issue, and God's just kind of putting his thumb on it. But anytime God puts his thumb on an issue, it's not pointing judgment at you. It's a hand extended saying, I'm here to help you through this. So we've got to get to a place where we are, we're free from that stuff. And literally, probably 80 to 90% of people are here. They're, they get stuck here at this second cup. And they say, I love God, 
But man, I got so much sin that just dominates my life. And they're not free. They're not living in freedom every day. And we all have issues. Listen, we all have them. I got them. I got a lot of them. And so do you. And if you don't think you have an issue, guess what? That is your issue. (laughs) I've dreamt of a church where we could just be real. Like, let's not fake it anymore. Let's just, okay, you got an issue. You can't unscramble eggs. Let's deal with it. Let's get past that. But we all need a place where we can deal with our yesterday. Here's number three, the third cup. He said, I want to rescue, then I want to deliver you. And then number three, I want the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. Or you can write in the side margin, restoration. This is where God comes and restores you. Here's taken from the third I will. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, Notice that word judgment. I know you're like, man, I don't want God to judge me. This is my first time here. Listen, I'll explain what that means in just a moment. So tuck that away. Let's deal with the first part. I will redeem you. Here's what that word means. It means that you're putting something or someone back to its original intent. That you've been using that wrench as a hammer at home to pound in the nails. And now you're going to say, no, 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 we're not going to use that anymore for that. It's actually to do this instead of this motion or throwing at somebody. That didn't clean their room. It's taking you and me who've gotten off track and saying, I want to bring you back to your original intent. Honestly, that's the goal of our entire church. We want to help you discover your redemptive potential. And honestly, everybody, too many Christians get stuck at cup two and they never get to cup three or cup four. And this is what they say. They'll say, I'm just working on me. Just going to focus on me for the rest of my life. You're like 80 years old. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just working on me. Don't expect anything out of me yet. God's still working on. I understand what you're trying to say. But at some point, you need to know why you exist and know why you're here and know what God wants to do in and through your life. Working on you is not the end. There's so much more. There's so much more. And, and honestly, we, we get in a place where we're like, man, I just got to I got to focus on me. I just got to work on me. I'm going to fix my issues. You don't fix your issues by working on your issues. You fix your issues by by giving yourself to something that's bigger than your issues. Jesus Christ, the church, Jesus comes in. Listen, he, he grabs your redemptive potential and he adds his grace. And that's what makes you great to where you begin to love what he loves. And you begin to look at what he looks and you say, man, God, I'm so grateful because he's the only one who can take all of our junk from our yesterday add his grace, add his forgiveness and restore us completely. Come on. I wonder, is there anybody in the room today that's grateful? We have a God of restoration. Come on. That you're not stuck. You're not stuck. I don't care how old you are and what you've done or how far you think you've gone. You are not stuck. You just stop moving. God wants to free us from that and connect us. And here's the judgment part. Remember the judgment part? The judgment part was not, it's not talking about you. He's talking about the judgment. I will come with great mighty acts of judgment. That's against the devil's plan for your life. God came with acts of judgment against Pharaoh in Egypt, didn't he? With those 10 plagues. It wasn't against his people. It was against the, the work of the devil in their life that God wants to free them. Because honestly, So many people have no idea what they're here for. Peter Wagner did a survey, and everybody he took survey from, he asked this question, why on earth are you here? Why why are you here on the planet Earth? 87% of the people said, I don't know. No, I I have no idea. 
No clue. Okay, let me ask you a question. What if 87% of your body didn't work? You'd be paralyzed. And yet the, the big C, capital C church around the world, 87% of people that come to church, they come to church, they love God, but they have no idea why they're here. We want to help you with that. Here's the fourth cup. So God wants to rescue you, deliver you, redeem you, put you back in your place. And then number four is the cup of praise. This is the cup of praise. You talk to any Jewish person that takes a Seder, they will read Exodus chapter 6, and they take these four cups. The cup of praise is taken from the fourth, I will. I will take you as my own people. Underline the word people. And I will, I will be your God. I wonder if there's anybody here that's grateful that we who were not a people are now the people of God. We didn't even have a name, and he gave us a name. But notice he didn't call you just for you. He called you to be a part of a people, a church, a group, a small group. He's never called a person just to call that person. All through Scripture we see God, God called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. God called Gideon to be a blessing to the nation. God calls you to be a blessing to the nation. And we have to understand that this last cup of praise is really the word Hallel which is where we get our word hallelujah. But the word is not just praise, it's fulfillment. Watch this. It means I'm so fulfilled, so hallelujah. I'm so fulfilled in life. I know why I'm here. I'm, I'm doing the, for what God created me to do. I'm doing that on the earth. So I'm so fulfilled, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm a part of something bigger than me and it's making an eternal difference. This is critical. We even have that out there on the family worship room. It says making an eternal difference because we never want to forget because there's potential in you. But watch this. You'll never fulfill your potential alone. God calls that potential alongside of a people, his church. So that's the four things, all right? So let's ask ourselves another question. So what do we do? What do we do as a church? I'll tell you what we do. Success for us is moving people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's success to me. If I can move you from where you are to to where God wants you to be, that's success. So if you're here today and you feel lost, you feel like God's a million miles away, your first step would be let God rescue you. Let God save you. And I'll give you an opportunity in in just a moment to do that. It's just a simple prayer. God, I confess you as my Lord and I want to give my life to you. So if you're saved, then what do you do? You don't stop there. If you're saved, we want to get you to the next step, get delivered. Because all of us have issues in our life that probably aren't submitted to God. So we need a, a place where we can work that out. And then if you're delivered, we want to get you redeemed back on track. And then we want to get you fulfilled. This is the great commission, everybody. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Colossians 1.28. It's not just one time. It's all through the scriptures. God is trying to get us to move one step. So how do we do that at our church? Okay, let me unpack this. Get your notes out. Let's write this down. Number one, the cup of sanctification is we want people to know God. We want people to know God. So how do we do that? We do Sundays. Sundays. Do you know that 90% 90 of people that give their life to Jesus, that they get saved, they do so at a church because a friend invited them? That's crazy. 90% of people that give their life to Jesus, they do so at a church. That's why these little invite cards are so critically important that we don't just kind of think, well, I'm just going gonna, gonna, to invite somebody when the Lord puts it on my heart. You ever been in the line 
And like God's telling you, you feel a voice say, hey, invite that person to your church. And you're like, I'm not sure if it's you, God. Is that you? Let me just, let me clear it up. The devil's never going to tell you to invite anybody to church. It's God. Invite them. All around, you, all around, this church is filled today, hardly any empty seats, because somebody invited you. How many are glad we didn't stop reaching out before you got here? Now it's our turn to pay that forward. We should never come to church alone. We should always be bringers, be bringers, not just inviters, but be bringers and and get them into the house because I believe that God wants to change their life. We want them to know God. So everything we do on a Sunday has got to be in a way that that an unchurched person could, could have fun in it. Write this down. Church ought to be enjoyable. David said this. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Most people are like, I was glad when it was over. How many have been there before? I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like you grew up, you go to a church and it's just boring. It's, people look angry. Looks like something stinks in the room all the time. Just angry. And they're singing songs. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? I just told you. Down in my heart. How many ever heard that song growing up? You're looking at some people like, brother, it's too deep. If, it, if, you, if it's in you, it's too deep because I can't see it. And you need to let your face know because I don't think your face knows that it's deep down in there. We're going to laugh a whole lot in church. We're going to have fun. We're going to smile. We're loud in this church. We're friendly. We're welcoming people in the lobby. We're doing that because those who come from a, an experience that don't know God, they need to have an environment that they, they can come and feel comfortable in and want to come back. There are two emotions in any, after any church service, two emotions. The number, first one is, I'm glad that's over. And the second one is, man, it's over already? I promise you, we're going after that second emotion. And Romans 2, 4 says, it's the kindness of the Lord that draws people to repentance. We have got to figure out a kind way to win people to Christ. Not shouting at them, not on a street corner with a megaphone yelling, you're going to hell. We've got to figure out a way. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Some people say they go to churches, they went to church, and for two years nobody ever said hi. We've got sign- people with signs out there. We're glad you're here, shaking signs. We're just glad you're in the building. You belong here. Sit with me. That's all intentional. Why? Because it's a value of ours to create an environment where unchurched people can come in and know God. Secondly, church ought to be powerful. There There ought to be a moment in the service, whether it's in worship, whether it's by the message or maybe prayer time or maybe in the lobby someone hugs your neck. There's got to be a moment where they encounter God. We've got to get this down, everybody. So this is number one, know God. Number two, the cup of deliverance is we want people to find freedom. Again, because we all have that issue that we're struggling with. And we can't fix that alone, everybody. That's why we do, write this down, small groups. Small groups. Small groups are powerful. If you're in a small group, come on, clap your hands and say a good amen. I'm just telling you, small groups are where it's at. And yes, I did end a sentence with a preposition. It's, it's, it's just where it's at. I wish I could say Sundays, you'll get everything you need from Sundays. It's not true. It's not true. Small groups, are, that's where the money is. That's where you build relationship with people. We're a small church with a lot of people. 
And the only way that can happen is if you get to know four or seven friends that are going the same direction as you. Show me your friends and I'll show you who you're becoming. Let me say it another way. Your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Period. So you got to get some people who want to who wanna be there for you. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 2, they met in houses every day. They met in small group settings. They met in big church, and then they met in small group settings. Because if, 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 if we have issues, which we, we all do, where would you like to deal with them? On a Sunday in front of everybody? Hey, come, come on down here. Let's just pray for this guy. He's got some issues. Everybody stretch your hand to this guy. And when he turns, he walks back to his seat. Now all of you guys are looking at him like, yep, I knew it. (laughs) You want that? Or would you rather a small group of friends who you know love you and are praying for you, and you can take off the mask and be real with them? That's where we find freedom, everybody. I'm trying to help you. It's a place, write this down, it's a place to connect. It's a place to connect. It's where you can take the mask off. Sundays, we all wear masks on Sundays. We come to church, we're like, hey, how you doing? Finding you? It's not true. You beat your kids all the way to church. You almost divorced your spouse in the drive-thru at McDonald's trying to get a parfait. And you come to church, how you doing? Finding you, praise God. Look at you. It's the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Show us your seats, honey. And your, your wife's like, I ain't sitting by you today. We'll go hold a sign or something. Sundays, Sundays we come in, we're like, yeah, I got a little mask on. When you get to know people in relationship, then you can trust them and you can be real with them. If you want forgiveness of sin, confess to God. 1 John 1, 9, not in your notes, it says this. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a great deal. But there's not a verse in the Bible that says, and it'll make sure that you never struggle with it again. There's a verse that helps with that, and that's James 5.16. That is in your notes. Confess your faults one to another, and you will be, shout this word out, everybody, healed. You'll be healed. We need healing, everybody. That comes through relationship. And I can't, I, can't, I can't tell you about my issues unless I know you love me. Anybody with me? So it's a place to, to connect. Write this down. It's a place to protect. It's a place to protect. Because if you're the only one who knows what your secrets are, you're going to be another statistic. If you're the only one who knows what's on the other side of the mask, you're in trouble, my friend. you got to let somebody in. And I know it's hard because we have all been burned before by people. Like this whole thing would be easy if it weren't for people. I saw somebody with a shirt that says, I used to be a people person, but people ruined that for me. <laughs> That's great. So i We all have a church, we all have a person, we all have a family member that burnt us. Okay, all right. But now you you judge every other person on the planet the same way. You judge every other church the same way. Listen, when I was young, I got sick at a burger joint. I mean, bad. It was food poison. I was on the the toll booth in San Francisco. I had to pull over. I was dry heaving on the side of the road. like. It was nasty. Watch this. I didn't stop eating cheeseburgers. I just don't go back there anymore. This guy, this girl, this group, this church, they burned me. So I'm never going back. 
That's not fair. You wouldn't do that. That logic would break down if you use that in other ways. You need a place that would protect you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says this. On the other side of your notes, <coughs> see to it. Everyone say, see to it. So this is important, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another, not just yourself, one another as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You need a small group. And then thirdly, it's a place to grow. It's a place to grow. How does growth happen? I wanted to grow when I was young. I wanted to get taller. And so I saw in the Brady Bunch that somebody was hanging from monkey bars, and so I started hanging by myself. I was like, I'm just going to get taller. And I think it worked a little bit. You have to get nourishment. You have to get around some other people. You got to understand your purpose if you really want to grow with your relationship with God. How does it grow? Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another one. You can't sharpen yourself. You've got to have some people. Listen, this is discipleship. People don't just need more information. They need relationship. They need to connect to their purpose. And I'll I'll prove it to you. Let me just tell you this, because some people think discipleship is a class. Like, we just need to get everybody in a class. It's not true. Because a lot of churches have classes that lead to nothing. Discipleship is relationship. There's two styles of learning back in the Bible days. There's a Greek style of learning. That's what we're doing right now, where we all sit kind of theater-style seats. You listen to one guy, the talking head, and you, you learn. The Hebrew style, which is what Jesus did, is he gathered 12 guys around, and they did life together. And those 12 people would change the world while the crowd went away denying Christ. Telling you, it's not just information. We need relationship. Let me say it another way. Tell me the last five sermons you've heard. You can't. But we can all tell us, everybody, five people who've impacted our lives greatly. It's discipleship. It's what happens in, in, in this area. And any time that I've ever plateaued in my life, where I'm growing, I'm growing, and then I just plateau. I've, I've gotten out of that plateau and began to grow again, not because of me, but because of somebody else that challenged me, stuck their finger in my chest and said, you're better than this. There's more in you. I can, I can believe God for greater things inside of you. And that challenged me to go great, to, go, to, go, to do greater things. It wasn't just me. Anytime God blesses you, watch this. Anytime God blesses you, he uses people. Anytime God speaks a word of encouragement to you, he uses people. Anytime God corrects you, it's people. If you don't have people in your life, you're missing out on all of this blessing. We clap. That's good. I'll, go. I'll just preach to this side. That's good. <laughs> so a place to grow. And honestly, we have a slogan here. Just move one step. Have you ever been in a church before and you feel like they expect so much out of you like right away? We just want you to move one step. One step. One step. That's it. And the number three, the cup of redemption. That's where we want you to discover purpose. We want you to know God, find freedom. That's in small groups. And then discover purpose. That's in our growth track. Our growth track. And, and honestly, to get growing, it's, it's, it's imperative that you get on a journey somehow. That you start. And that's what the growth track is. We had 113 people join the church last month and go through the growth track, get on teams, they're getting in small groups. And now we had 54 people last Sunday join the church. This, they're in step two right now. And, and, and I'm just telling you, everybody 
that grows in their life, they can attribute that because they have the right people in their life and they know why they're here. Discover your purpose. We want to help you do that. We do that through our growth track because this church is not built on my ministry and my gifts. It's built on the sacrifice of many. Ephesians chapter 4. This might come as a shock to some of you, but to each of us, each one of us, grace has been given. So the grace of God, the gift of God has been given to us as Christ has divvied it up or apportioned it. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Say mature. How many know that age does not equate maturity? Mature means that you've connected to your purpose and you've you're reached unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and you're serving people. That's what this text says. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. My job as a pastor, I'm not a minister. I'm a pastor. My job, description right here, is to train people to serve people. To train people to be ministers and to do the work of, of the ministry. That's why this is so important. That people get on a mission, like a plan of some sort, so they can begin to serve people and help you find out what your gift is. My gift is to help you find what yours is. That's what I'm here for. That's why we want two great days in your life. Two amazing days. The day you were born, that's number one. Second great day in your life is when when you finally figure out why you were born. We can help you with that second one. It's our growth track. Step one, the very first Sunday of every month, every month, we do step one. It's membership. You can hear the vision of the church. You have a chance to become a member. It's not a 40-week class. It's one class. It's one hour. Because in one hour, you can kind of get a glimpse of, yeah, this is my tribe. I feel like I want to run with them. We want to do life together. I don't want to just disseminate more information. Number two, step two, what they did today was we give you four new habits. Every Christian needs to be successful. Step three is a discovery class. We give you a spiritual test and help you discover maybe what your gifts and your talents, what you like. Maybe that's how God wired you and Maybe you should be serving in this area. And then step four is you get on a team and start serving. We have 1,100 people. That's one out of every three people on our church are serving in some capacity. That's incredible. You know why? Because they've, they've found their purpose. We haven't, in six years, we haven't had one person say, I'm burnt out. You know why? Because when you do what you're created to do, you don't burn out. It just energizes you even more. Ask the drummer, hey, you ever get tired of playing drums? Nope. The more I, that's, this is a gift of mine. Now you put him with kids, he might pull his hair out. But there's some other people that we need in kids. They love kids. They're, they're serving right now, teaching your kids about Jesus on their level. But they, we bring them up here, they would kill the whole worship service because they can't keep it beat for nothing. But when everybody's serving in their lane, their gifts, I'm telling you, something comes alive. Number four, this is the cup of praise. This is the dream team. We want you to make a difference. I'm not satisfied with just getting you saved and then, and then working through your issues. I need you to get in a growth track and, and discover your purpose. And then once you discover it, I need you to make a difference. It's so easy to serve at our church because when you serve, you serve one service every three weeks. Isn't that easy? We don't, we don't expect you to be here all day on a Sunday. It's one service every three weeks. Our church will be fine if you don't serve. He won't be as good, though, until you serve. Making a difference, holding a sign, welcoming somebody, setting up chairs, kids, lights, camera, action. I mean, when you're a part of something greater than you, 
something in you comes alive. Something in you comes alive. I had a guy, he's sitting here on the front row. He told me prayer meeting, he drive from like Richmond in traffic. That's a long, that's like three days commute. And I was, he came, he comes Sundays, his family, they come Wednesday night to the first Wednesday. They came to Thursday night prayer. I was like, dude, you made it again. He said, I've been looking for a church like this for 19 years. It is worth the drive to me. Just telling you, everybody, when you find purpose, you come alive. Something comes alive in you. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are Christ's workmanship. God's workmanship, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Watch this. To do good works. Prepared before you were even born. This is what he said. He says, I have created something in you to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. That word advance means before you were born, he had purpose. There was never a moment where God was like, what are we going to do with him? Gabriel, come here quick. We got an oopsie baby over here. There was purpose before there was a you. There was a what before there was a you. Our job as a church is just to help you take one step to help you find out what that is. And when you do, write this down. You contribute to the church building? No, to people. 2 Timothy chapter 1, last verse says, So don't be embarrassed to speak up for the master or me, his prisoner. Take your share of suffering and for the message along with the rest of us. We can only keep on going, after all, by the power of God. We need God, everybody. Watch this last part. Who first saved us and then called us to his holy work. He doesn't save you just so you can sit, soak, and sour. He saves you and then calls you. Every one of you, there's a calling on your life. Whether you even believe in God or not, God has gifted you with talents and abilities and a calling. He's just waiting for you to pick up the phone. So you can, number two, be a part of a community. A community. And number three, so we can celebrate what God does together. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what our church is all about, so that you would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, get on the dream team, and make a difference, the biggest difference you could ever make. Okay, you can put your things away in just a moment. Let me read one more verse. This is not in your notes. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. This is the Last Supper. Jesus would have been hours away from his death on a cross. His disciples get together and they take Passover together. While they're there, they would have had the cups lined out because they've done this all their life. They would have read Exodus chapter 6 just like we did. Bible says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, they wouldn't understand what he's talking about at that moment. They were celebrating the Passover of their ancestors coming out of slavery. Jesus was now making the tie together and saying, this represents my body. They wouldn't get it then, but in a few short hours, it would all make sense. As Jesus would say, as often as you do this, would you just remember me? 
the price that I paid so that you could be free from sin, so that you could be saved, delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. Watch this last part. Some of you have never seen this before. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Okay, look at me, everybody. Look right up here. This would have been the third cup. As they're there, in a very emotional dinner for Jesus, at least, Jesus didn't finish the Seder. He took three cups and didn't take the fourth one. Even on the cross, they offered him a cup. Do you remember that? They offered him a cup and he denied it. Why? I'll tell you why. He said, I'll take the first three cups with you, but I'm not going to take the fourth one. I'm going to save that to have that personally with you in heaven one day. The cup of fulfillment. Jesus is saving that last cup. When you get to heaven and you drink that together and remember what Christ did so that we could know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make the biggest impact on this planet that's possible in Jesus' name. That's the four things we do at this church. That's what we are. That's why we exist. And I want to encourage all of you, take the next step. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. Maybe you're here today and you say, Sean, I need to take a step. All right, well, let me help you. I'm going to make it super simple for you and not embarrass you at all. Our hearts never do embarrass anybody. We want to connect you to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And if you're here and you say, Sean, that's me, count me in that prayer. Whether you're in the family worship room, in the overflow, we believe with all of our heart that you don't work for salvation. You simply receive it as a gift. Some of you are like, man, I, I've never given my life to Jesus before, but I'd like to right now. Or maybe you were once close to God, but you've drifted away. Maybe God's on your list, but he's just not first. But today I want to invite you to reorder the list to make him priority number one. Maybe some of you are, are you're religious. You, you know how to go to church and you know how to do this stuff. You don't even know how some of the answers people ask questions to in the Bible. But honestly, on the inside, you're like, there's got to be more than this. You need a relationship with God. If you said yes to any of those, I would love to lead you in a commitment prayer right here and right now. Something that I'll say, you could just say in your seat. I'll give you the words to pray. I'm not having you stand and come to the front. But I believe with all my heart that today, somebody's going to leave this place changed. And my daughter's prayer is going to be fulfilled as she prayed, let this be the best day of somebody's life. The day that their life made sense again. 